Well, good morning. It's good to be back home. I'm going to start this morning with a reading. Um, I, the children are going to head back to their, their classes this morning. We have some dinosaurs leaving <laughs> us this morning and some other kids heading back with Rihanna and uh, Michelle. Let me start with a reading. If we could turn down my volume just slightly, that would help. Um, it's ringing just a little bit in my ears. But let me start with a reading from Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in latter times, he has made a glorious way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan of Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, a light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they devoid the spoils for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the ramping warrior and battled Talmud, every rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. For to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince, of peace. Well, Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters. You know, it's, it's, it's really wonderful to be back with you all again and, and to be back with my friends online as well. I had a joy of making some brand new friends last week in Sierra Leone, Africa. I was there with Andre and Rena and some other friends. You know, the, the ministry of Hands on Africa is doing some great gospel work in Africa. Last week, Andre and I um, were able to equip about 50 men and women in seminary classes to help, whoa, whoa, wait, to help build some strong, a little early, Ryan, to help build some strong uh, gospel leaders um, in three different African countries. We, we taught seminary classes to them. Rena led us and the other team members to deepen the message of Jesus' gospel and his love into the 41 orphans that we lived with in the orphanage there. I think I'm a little shorter. The orphans love to massage my back, and so they, four or five at a time, were pounding me um, in 90-degree heat, so I'm a little smaller than when I left. Um, We had the opportunity to preach the gospel in a predominantly Muslim village that was nearby, and we saw... Um, fruit uh, from Rena's preaching and Andre's preaching and and my preaching there. Um, Thanks uh, to your generosity, we hosted a Christmas party for orphans who were blessed with good food and new clothes and and toys and school supplies. I saw there's still some of their pictures on the tree out there, and uh, there's still time if you feel a generous spirit. I know they've received their gifts, but I know that they could all use more help um, they, they like the help. I am missing an iPad and two pairs of shoes and a water bottle because I 
wanted to give them more when I was there. <laughs> and, um, you know, they are just such wonderful um, young men and women. And uh, the text I just read, they didn't take them from me. They're, they're just, you know, um, they, it's good religion to help out orphans and, and widows. And I would encourage you, we are so blessed in this country to give to help the mission of what Hands on Africa does. They are doing good work in Sierra Leone, in Kenya, and the other countries of Africa. Uh, The text I just read is a prophecy from Isaiah about the birth of Jesus, and it was written 700 years prior to his birth. And the first line starts with, there will be no gloom for her her who is in anguish, and and that's speaking about Israel. You know, the people of Israel were going through a, a dark time as Isaiah was writing this prophecy. They were dealing with corrupt political leaders. They were facing an enemy that was about to overthrow them and send them into exile for 70 years as a people. And this was all going to happen because of their sin as a people and because uh, the sin of their leaders was really great. Yet Isaiah writes and finishes this passage with such hope and with such joy. And his prophecy is actually about another dark time when his people again will be occupied by an oppressive Roman government and their own leaders again are corrupt. And again, there is sin and darkness in the land. But in the midst of this darkness, a a great light has come. And, And I don't know about you. But sometimes around the holidays, as the the days grow shorter, and as sometimes the end of the year, the money seems to grow just a little bit shorter. And often the pressure of getting together with family makes people seem a little shorter. I can start to feel a little gloomy around the holidays. So I need to be reminded that the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light in Jesus Christ. I think we often put our hopes and our dreams at this time of year into false lights. We, we sometimes put our hopes into lots of presents or that extra special present under the Christmas tree. Others might put their hopes in being home for the holidays. And the romantics in us sometimes put our hopes in finding love over the holidays because of the millions of sappy Netflix and Hallmark movies that are on TV right now. Unfortunately, it's, it, it's not really that practical to find love over the holidays. That concept just sells a lot of sentimental movies and, and makes people to make bad choices at a lot of holiday parties, often after a few too many eggnogs. Um, Being home for Christmas may not be as great also as we might imagine. Some of our homes, like mine, are more like Clark Griswold's Christmas Vacation than Norman Rockwell's drawings. You know, Norman Rockwell's drawings are a still photo, but actually being with family is a little more dynamic than that sometimes. And, and um, 
We have our own brand of corrupt, hungry politicians trying to divide us right now, suggesting we check people's vaccination cards at the door of our family gatherings. That seems like a little bit of an overstep or reach, I think, into our lives. And this year, um, some of those special presents we dream about might not make it off container ships. And if by a miracle they do, the price might be a tad inflated. Yes, there is a little bit of gloom, I think, every year as we look at false lights at Christmas. If we put our hope in the wrong place. This is nothing new. The the lights and and the tinsel can distract us from the, the real hope of this season. I can remember years where my wife would just go around mumbling, baby Jesus, baby Jesus, baby Jesus. Trying to remind herself of the joy of this season because her family and all the pressure of the secular traditions was taking away all of her fa-la-la. But Isaiah is saying to this generation walking in gloom and to all of us who sometimes walk in gloom that a great light that God's goodness has shone on us all. And so today, if you are walking in darkness, and and those of us that maybe today feel like we are walking in a land of darkness, in a pandemic, and economic uncertainty, and political corruption, we need to remember that God has multiplied us, and he has increased our reason to be joyful right now. That because of what God has done, we should feel like we are at a wedding party, regardless of the circumstances that are going on out there right now. Now, if Jesus has really come, can we be gloomy as his disciples? Friends, there is no gloom in a Sierra Leone orphanage camp every night when the men are there, I'll tell you. They start cheering about three miles out when they see Mama Marina coming. I want you to play that. Uh, there's a celebration. Uh, I want you to play that video now, Ryan. This is what happens when Mama Marina comes. There's some, there's some, there's some joy. There's some partying going on because of Jesus. When the missionaries come, there's some dancing. There's some joy. There's a celebration. See, Jesus, our missionary, has come. He is here. The light has come. And Isaiah speaks here of a joyful harvest when the bounty provided by God is divided and celebrated after all the hard work has been done. And our text speaks of men and women rejoicing because they have won a victory similar to a, 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 a locker room. Like people celebrating in a locker room, pouring champagne over each, each other's head after winning a, a championship title. That's what Isaiah is talking about. There is no room for gloom as we celebrate Christmas unless our eyes get fixed on the wrong light. 
So, brothers and sisters, we must make sure we see the greatest of lights. The great light that Isaiah is talking about. Slide, or it says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so let's together, let's gaze at that light and gain hope and make no room for that gloom today in our hearts. Again, for unto us a child is born. God became one of us. Jesus became a man. That means that not platypuses or salamanders are the ones made in God's images, but us. That means that each one of us, male, female, white, black, brown, rich, poor, young, old, is infinitely valuable to God. We are made in the very image of God. God did not choose us, or he did not choose to come as an angel or as a heavenly being. He came to choose to come as a Cleone. As a Ryan, as a Mike, he he came to choose to come as one of us. He did not choose to come in power like a superhero. He came to choose to come as a Jonah. He came vulnerable and humble as someone we could all identify with. He knew our poverty. He he, he knew our cold. He knew our rejection. He knew our pain. He he knew our, our, our disgrace. Friends, there is nothing more helpless, more dependent than a a human child as infants we're pretty pathetic we don't survive very well without any help and yet god is compassionate towards us because he knows our frame not just because he designed it because he lived in it he knows how weak it is I know I am much more compassionate towards orphans having lived with 41 of them 24-7 for a week. Think about God. He spent 33 years as one of us. It's, It's really humbling from somebody from the West who lives in comfort to go to Africa and live without power, without climate control, and and pee in a bucket. And, and shower from a bag and poop in a plastic bag and throw it in a hole every day. God, though, think about it, left the, the riches of heaven and the splendor of heaven to do all of that, except in plastic. He did all of that and, and much worse for 33 years for all of us. A son is given. See, Jesus added humanity to his deity. Jesus always existed. He is the eternal God. But at a certain point of history, he added humanity to his nature. This is a gift to us as human beings. Because Jesus did not become a a sinful, flawed human like we are. Jesus became perfect humanity. 
God's perfect design for humanity, a sinless human being. And because he was a sinless human, he was capable of becoming a perfect sacrifice for our sin. Jesus was able to become the Lamb of God who could take away the sins of the world. Jesus was given to the world as a son, a human man, a gift to the world. It's important that he was human. The scripture tells us that. It's the basis of how we know that a prophet like Isaiah is a true prophet. 1 John 4 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus has come by the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. It is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is now in the world already. The Bible says true faith is based on the gift of God becoming a man, becoming a human being. This great light is that our God loved us enough to become one of us so that in his goodness, he could die for all of us. And and beloved, this is not some sentimental love story that is played on Netflix and Hulu and Prime. There is historical proof that this actually happened. There are multiple prophets like Isaiah that predicted the events of Jesus' birth seven, eight hundred years, a thousand years before it actually happened. We have passages like the one I read in Isaiah 9, 6 that confirms that he would be born a son, a son of God. But we have prophecies like Isaiah 7, 4 that predicts that he would be born a son of a virgin by God. It says this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and he will be called and and will call him Emmanuel which means God with us that was written by Isaiah 700 years prior in Isaiah 7:14 and then we have Micah in Micah 5:2 that predicts the exact place an obscure place of Jesus's birth the Lord says Bethlehem you may not be an important town in the nation of Judah but out of you will come a ruler over Israel for me. His family line goes back to the early years of your nation. It goes all the way back to the days long ago. Micah, the prophet, in chapter 5, verse 2. And then the prophet of Hosea in chapter 11 predicts what is said in Matthew 2.13, that Jesus and his parents would have to escape the evil King Herod into Egypt. It says this, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt... I called my son. And then in Numbers 2, 24, 17, Moses, the prophet, predicts that it will be a star that will lead the Magi to Jesus. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, and a scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab, and tear down the sons of Sheth. And then Solomon, in one of the Psalms, 72, 
10 through 11 predicts the visit of the Magi and them actually bowing down. See, all of the story of Christmas is predicted hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the infant Jesus to worship. May the kings of Tarshish, the distant store, bring tribute to him. And may the kings of Sheba and uh, uh, Seba present him gifts. May all the kings bow down to him and all the nations serve him. And then the prophet Jeremiah in verse 31, 15, predicts that Herod would be a cruel ruler and he would try to kill the infant Jesus by trying to kill all the male children and infants near Bethlehem. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel crying, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. And remarkably then, we have Daniel the prophet who pinpoints the exact time in history Jesus would come. His prediction comes from the time of rebuilding the temple after the exile when the temple is destroyed in Jerusalem and and then to the time of where the temple is then destroyed again in about AD 70 after Jesus is crucified. It it, it predicts the exact point of history of Jesus' life and ministry. Now, listen and understand. Seven sets of 72 sets of seven past the time of the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and the rulers will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple, and the end will come with a flood and war, and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Daniel 9, 25 through 26. Within a year or two of Jesus' um, uh, ministry, we have a prediction exact by Daniel. It's amazing. And then we have Jesus' um, family line predicted by various scriptures that he came from Abraham, Genesis 12, 3. Isaac, Genesis 17, 21, and Genesis 26, 4. Jacob, Genesis 28, 14. From the line of Judah, Genesis 49, 8 through 12. The line of Jesse, Isaiah 11, 1. And David, Isaiah 9, 7. And Jeremiah 23, 5. All predict his lineage, his line, which are in Luke and in Matthew. Now, skeptics may say, that Jesus might have tried to control his life to fulfill these prophecies. But I ask you, how does an infant control the place of his birth? How does he control his family line? How does he control the circumstances going on in history at the time of his birth? You know, there was a a professor of mathematics named Peter Stoner, who did some mathematical analysis of the probability of one man fulfilling eight prophecies. I just gave you ten. And he tried to do uh, the mathematical odds of just eight in history. And he finds that the mathematical odds were one in ten to the 17th power. That's like a one with 17 zeros behind it. And to give you an idea of how big that number is, if you took silver dollars and covered the state of Texas with them, the pile would be two feet high. And now take one of the silver dollars, mark it with a J on it, and throw it out of an airplane, and walk 
and find that one with the J. Walk into the state of Texas and find that one with the J. That is the mathematical odds that one man would fulfill all eight of these prophecies that I just gave you, and I gave you 10. There are over 55 fulfilled prophecies about Jesus in the New Testament. If we considered 48 of the mathematical probability, or 48, the mathematical probabilities go up to 1 to the 10 to the 57th, which is a number of electrons to be, that are, are thought to be in the known universe. Historical prophecies that came true in Jesus' life. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. If Isaiah's generation could be joyful about something that would happen, how much more joy can we have in something that has happened? The Son of God has been given to us. This is a historical fact. We have something that Isaiah did not have. We have four eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that lived with and knew personally this given son of God. These men who, despite what the skeptics say, have proven to be extremely reliable over history. The truth is, is if we dismiss the reliability of their ancient documents, the ones that they have created, we would have to dismiss much of what we know about ancient history. There is better manuscript evidence for the reliability of the New Testament than any other ancient document. We have over 5,000 ancient manuscript copies written within a few hundred years of the actual events with a 99.5% accuracy rating between all of the copies. The authors themselves were extremely accurate in what they wrote. Luke, for example, was a doctor and a historian. And he gives reference to 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands in his Gospels. And we do not find a single mistake in his writings. In 2,000 years, archaeology has not proved him wrong one bit. For a time, there have been skeptics that have thought places like Nazareth and other places did not exist. But they have been proven by archaeology to exist. People have tried to discredit these authors as unreliable, and they can't. And also, here's another point. They had no reason to lie in their gospel accounts. Each of them faced horrible deaths. They were not given economic incentive to stick to their stories. They lost their fortunes. They lost credibility because of the gospel they preached. They died holding to their stories. And they all died without recanting their story. Now, people will die for something they believe to be true. But will you die for something that you know is a lie? And each of these men would have known, because they were that close to Jesus, whether this gospel was a lie or not. They had no economic or social benefit in lying. They had no incentive to do so. And they also each told embarrassing details about their own failings how they betrayed Jesus, how they disobeyed Jesus. They also told how women were the first witnesses to the resurrection, which is something in the first century you just wouldn't do because women could not even testify in a court of law. They were considered unreliable witnesses. They were considered property. And you would not use them as your primary witness 
to the most important event of history that your whole gospel is based on. Unless you were trying to be accurate in your testimony and tell the truth. There's no way you would fabricate your story that way. But yet all the gospel writers said that the women were the first ones to to see the resurrection. Besides the gospel writers, there were other historical writers outside the New Testament. There were people like Tactus and Josephus who confirm the resurrection and that this son was given to us. Another question the skeptics would need to answer is this. If God did not give us his son, Jesus, how did this poor baby from a nowhere town of maybe 20 to 30 people with no education, a poor background, a very suspicious birth, someone who never wrote a book, someone who never raised an army or traveled very far from his place of birth, gain such influence over the world? Our historical calendar is even based on his birth. Most of the world celebrates his birth, even if they don't believe in him. Hospitals bear his name. There's been more written about him than probably anybody in history. How did that happen if there is nothing to his story? Beloved, the, the, the barrier to our faith is not an intellectual one, but a heart that is committed to unbelief for some other reason. To us, a son has been given. We who believe do not walk in the gloom of darkness, but we walk in the light of God's love for us. The son has been given to us. The proof And the assurance of God's love for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God does not just love us a little. God so loves us. He gave. Isaiah and John both tell us this. For thousands of years, men and women have had it wrong. They have falsely determined that God was expecting something from them. Some kind of pound of flesh, some kind of bleeding sacrifice, some kind of bull or goat. Some kind of payoff or bribe to please God and some way to control him. But what Isaiah and John both are saying in both the New and the Old Testament affirm that God so loved us that he gave us the most precious thing he had, his own son, to die horribly on a Roman cross for us. God offers him to die on an instrument of cruel torture so that we would not be eternally punished and see the punishment we deserve for our sin, but instead he would give us the gift of everlasting life. The only required thing from us is for us to believe in the goodness of his love and mercy and that he would give us his one and only son. Romans 5, 8 said, but God 
shows us, he demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Today, do you believe in gloom? Or do you believe in the gift of God the Father has given us in his Son? If you believe, then you are a son or daughter yourself. The Bible says you have seen the light. 1 John 1.12 says, But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. God will perfect your humanity and make you sinless in his eyes. And you will become a, a new creation, an eternal son or daughter of God. Simply because you will receive the gift of what his son has done for you. You cannot make up for your own sin. It will not happen by your will or by the will of any man or woman. But by the will of God, that was his will to give you that gift through the blood of his very own son. His son that was given for you. And if you receive that, you will no longer walk in darkness. No longer walk in the darkness of your fear and your sin. And your gloom. You will have a new nature in your heart of joy as a gift from God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons for whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. Romans 8, 15. There is no need for gloom. You are not alone in this world. You have a father that eternally loves you and has provided for you because you are now his sons and his daughters. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Well, well the son was, was given to die for our sins Friends, he did not stay dead. He, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, he, he walked out of that tomb. And he is alive again in the physical body of a man. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. That tells us because Jesus was born to us as a man, died as a man, and was raised as a man, if we believe in him as a man and a God, dual nature, we as men and women will be raised eternally as he was raised eternally. And, and now because of Jesus' obedience to his Father and his sinless perfection going to the cross, the government, all dominion, all power, and all authority is now placed upon his shoulders. We don't have to carry the weight of the world ourselves on our shoulders and despair and fear. Jesus carries it all for us. We can trust in him. 
Jesus has the power to make all things new in our lives. And at the proper time, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. And neither shall there shall be there mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things of this life, the gloom and the doom will pass away. And there will be no gloom anymore. Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters. Jesus, the Son, is the reason for the joy of this season for those who believe in what God has said. He has given His Son to us forever. Do you believe that? Do you believe in his goodness and love for us that he has demonstrated us through his son? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If so, rejoice, be glad, let your hearts be at peace. And if not, realize you will not find your ultimate joy in an elf on a shelf. In a man in a red suit, no matter how jolly he is. In a gift under a tree. In a high-calorie, fatty meal. In being at home for the holidays or a sappy, romantic movie. Instead, your hearts will turn to gloom. Today... Make room in your heart for the Son of God who loved you and gave his life for you and destroyed the very one who sought your doom. His Father gave his Son to you through a virgin so you would not perish and so that you could have eternal life. Today, step out of the darkness and step into that great light. Step into his marvelous light and find joy. Let us pray. Father God, we praise you that you have given us your son. We thank you for your love and for your mercy. Father, as everybody stands and gets ready to praise and worship you. Father, if there's anyone here that has not received and believed in the name of your son, has not believed in what you have done. The love and the mercy that you have given, the gift that you have given. Father, may they receive that ultimate gift this Christmas. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. May they receive that today. And may they cry out to you, Abba, Father, knowing that they are never alone. And may they follow you the rest of their days of their life.